Welcome to Missionary Talks, where we talk with missionaries and learn about their lives and work. Today on Missionary Talks, I'm talking with Rodney Myers. He's a missionary to Tanzania. Rodney, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to Tanzania? Absolutely. Um, I was a sophomore in Bible college, and there was a retired missionary from Indonesia that had uh, represented a, a, a mission board. He came to college, and he was recruiting students to pray for unreached people groups in different areas of the world. And his mission board was targeting one group for prayer called the Datoga tribe, which happens to be in the country of Tanzania. And he was promoting that idea in our ministerial class. And I was, of course, there being a Bible student. Uh, wasn't going in the direction of missions at all, but I was really open to go anywhere in the world or do anything that the Lord would reveal to me. I was just kind of waiting for him to enlighten me on my next step after college. And when he talked about the Datoga tribe and asking for people to commit to pray for them, the Lord really moved on my heart in a very movable way, a very obvious way. And so I committed to uh, pray for the unreached people group called the Datoga. And then after two years of solid uh, prayer for them, that same retired missionary came back to our college for a missions conference, and it was during that missions conference that the Lord uh, solidified a strong call on my heart to uh, go as a full-time missionary to that very people group. So I'd been praying for those two years that another generation would not go by before they had a solid gospel witness, the scriptures and a church among them, and that God would call out missionaries to go to them. And at that mission conference, he answered one half of my prayer. So that's how I got started in that direction. And then when did you arrive in Tanzania to get started? Well, I graduated from college in 1998, and I was married uh, just a couple days later after that. And it, I didn't go on deputation right away. I continued to work full-time in a local church, gather experience, and get a little bit broader ministry uh, scope. And then we started deputation, I think it was around 2001. And then, yeah, because it was at the when we graduated from linguistics school, and after two and a half years, we were ready to go, and it was February 2004 that we left for the field. How big is the Datoga tribe? Is it is it a group that kind of encompasses all of Tanzania, other countries, or just a small area? It's actually would be considered a large, small tribe in Tanzania. There's about 120 tribes in a country of about 40 million people. Um, and the Datoga would number somewhere around 400,000, but it's difficult for the government to really number them because they're semi-nomadic. There's pockets of them spread out. They're cattle herders, so they don't settle down in one area. Also, the government of Tanzania is not allowed to ask anyone the tribe that they're from anymore because they're trying to continue to break down tribal divisions and build uh, a country of one people. So uh, the statistics from the 60s and 70s, I think, done from earlier groups, 
number them somewhere between 250 and 400,000. What languages do you speak there? Uh, the Datoga have their own language, and then is English a common language there? English you encounter in the large cities where there's a lot higher education because uh, English is considered an educated language because after you finish primary schools and get into secondary school, uh, school is only taught in English. And so it makes sense that only in your more advanced cities you have more Tanzanians who know and use English uh, fairly competently. But yeah, the majority of Tanzania is village and farmland. And so uh, the majority of the people that we would encounter on a daily basis from any tribe in the villages would mainly speak Swahili, which is more like a trade language. The Datoga, on the other hand, probably, I would say, a conservative figure of about 70% only speak their tribal language, which is Kitatoga, and then 30% would know Swahili uh, well enough to communicate or even for us to witness to, and they would more understand what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Then do you have a Bible in the Datoga language? Well, that's one thing that's really exciting about the Datoga, is that when we first started praying for them back in Bible college, there was there was no Bible in the Datoga language. There had never been any groundwork done to even give them a written language. So when we arrived in Tanzania in 2004, we were thinking there is no Bible and there is no, it is a completely unwritten language. And it was true that there was no Bible, but there had been some groundbreaking work done with their language in order to get it in written form. It just wasn't done by us, <laughs> mm -hmm. which we were more than excited to, to have a chance in, in helping in that area, but we were excited that that had been done. And then it was just this year, after arriving back in country after uh, a break in the States, that I was able to visit a uh, into the heart of the Datoga ancient land where they consider their their ancient land to a village called Hydem and in that place there is a, a staff an office and I was able to meet several people associated with the Datoga Bible Translation Project and they had recently just published a, a New Testament in the Datoga language hmm. and they were also uh, progressing with several Old Testament books, which we were very excited to hear about. Uh, there was one Datoga man that is actually a member of our Bible college out in the village of Bonga, and he's been in that college for about a year. I don't get to personally teach him, uh, but he knows Swahili, and he is a member of that college and he was excited to get his very first copy of the Datoga New Testament and read that in his, in his own language. Tell us a little bit about when, when we met, uh, we, we were talking quite a bit initially. This has been six, eight years ago. Uh, we were talking about a linguistics program that you were going to. Tell us a little bit about that linguistics program and how important you think that is 
particularly for somebody that's going to be working in, in tribal languages that don't have their language reduced to writing, but then for any missionary in general? I would say that a linguistics program is vital to a missionary's acclimation into a culture, um, mainly because it, the culture of a people is their language. It's mostly reflected in their language. And so when you have a linguistics uh, background, you're able to uh, hear and understand and then record so much of what hearing even without having to go to a classroom setting. We were privileged, my wife and I, to attend Baptist Bible Translators Institute in Bowie, Texas, which uh, specializes in teaching missionaries how to hear even the minute sounds of a tribal language that the uh, American ears are really not even trained to hear. And then not only to hear the sounds, but then to uh, reduplicate those sounds themselves. Also, even to put those sounds and symbols on the paper so that they could recall and, and repronounce them later. And it's really been a great help to us because starting with the trade language in Swahili, there are, there are several sounds associated with that language that are difficult uh for our American ears to hear, but because of our training, we were able to hear them and reduplicate them without even having to write them down. And then now that we are beginning to learn the Datoga language, we're finding that those sounds are a lot more. <laughs> so it's a very difficult language, and um, it's the linguistics background has really been a, a great help to us so that we don't get discouraged. Then, as far as linguistics go, do you think a missionary or somebody looking at going into missions needs to become a, quote, linguist, or do they just need to at least get a good basic understanding of how linguistics works? No, I don't think they have to become a li linguist, um, although the more you know and understand, it could only be an advantage to you. Um, and then if you don't end up having to use some of the information you've learned, then it's, it, it would be fine. Um, but any degree of linguistical training a, a new missionary can have, no matter where he goes in the world, whether it's a developed world or the underdeveloped part of the world, it could only be a help to you. Um, as far as new missionaries, I think it would depend on the area of the world you're going to and the level of difficulty of the language and how many languages you're going to actually learn. We're thankful that we're only having to learn two African languages. <laughs> so one of them just happens to be a brand, brand newly written language. <laughs> then someone like me who has gone to language school, uh, in, in my case Spanish, it's a very common language. It's very easy to get language training in Spanish. Do you think a linguistics program would even help uh, somebody in that kind of situation? It is absolutely essential, I would say. If someone, before a, a new missionary candidate even goes to uh, a new school to learn Spanish or Swahili or French or German, 
uh, or any Asian language, I would say prior to that, linguistics training would be a must. Um, I know missionaries here in Tanzania, uh, some who have only gone to as little as a two-week or a four-week uh, course in linguistics, and then there are others like myself who have gone to a nine-month-long school. And I think the more that you have, the more advantage that you have over even over some of your missionary peers. The two to four week programs that you mentioned are are they beneficial or are they not really worth the time? Should you look at going for a longer time? Well, um, the two to four week classes at least get your ears trained to hear um, sounds that would typically be foreign to an American's ear with no training. For example, uh, here in Tanzania, they use the word the letter R in the initial position of a word it would be a, a rolled R but if you see an R in the center position of a word it would be a flapped R where you just it sounds more like a, a hard D and then in the final position of a word there's no R sound to it it's just a, in what we might call a, a Boston AW like an A pronounced by someone from Boston and so to recognize those three different sounds, uh, someone who has had at least two, three, four weeks in, in linguistics training, they would be able to recognize and reproduce that. But when you get more on like a tonal language, um, where the language isn't even a, a written language hardly, and it, you can't go to a, a classroom where people teach you key to toga, you have to go to your community and teach it to yourself through language learners then the longer course of six to nine months is, is exactly what you need. Well, Rodney, let's return back to the Totoga and, and uh, the ministry there. Is there a story you'd like to share with us? Just a couple of years ago, I had been traveling three times a week to a village called Mdori, and it was a place I was targeting for a new church plant. But while I was there, I got to witness to a Datoga using Swahili. And on this particular day, it kind of drew a crowd because whenever a, a, a white person from the States is in the middle of a village and he's having a conversation with someone in public, it just draws attention. And so I found myself surrounded by... Uh, 8, 10, and then 12, 15, 20 other people just hanging around in a semicircle fashion listening to me trying to communicate with this uh, Datoga man. And he was a young person, I would say between the age of 17 and 21. And I would uh, take him through many of the common questions that you would hear or use as, as a believer in the States. Um, you know, do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that um, Jesus Christ has died on your behalf and is offering you salvation? And it was kind of a test witnessing time with him because I already knew that the majority of the Datoga that I've talked to, they have no idea who Jesus is. They don't have the word Jesus in their Datoga language. They have... Um, no understanding of a religious salvation, uh, no word for book or, or for Bible, no word for church, and uh, sin 
is relevant to their understanding from their own culture. If you sin as a toga, uh, it might be because you didn't provide enough honey beer for the elders in your village. But to commit a sin of stealing or lying or something like that, that wouldn't be considered a cultural sin. And so when addressing a sin issue, um, he didn't know where I was going or why I was going there or why it was even important. So when I finished talking with him, we parted on good terms and feeling both encouraged and discouraged at the same time, encouraged for what I had learned, discouraged that I left the poor guy as confused as, as anything about salvation and the gospel. I went across the street and there was a lady that I had witnessed to in the past and she called me over to sit down and I sat down and began to talk with her and she asked me she said uh, pastor you know I was raised in a Muslim home was a Muslim all my life said all my prayers memorized uh, every week and then she said I married a Lutheran Christian and before I could get married I had to be blessed by the priest or she called him a priest but you know in the Lutheran Church he's just a pastor and she looked me in the eye with uh, with fear and she said pastor uh, am I saved because I've been sprinkled and I've been blessed by a priest and now I'm even married to a Christian and I looked at her and I pulled out a track in my pocket which is uh, entitled The New Birth, and I said, um, Mama Adija, which is her name, I said, what has happened is you've trade, traded the, the shackles of Islam for the handcuffs of Christianity without the new birth. And I explained to her that it's not the religion that you are a member of, but it's whether or not you have uh, you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have been born into his family and so going through that track with her uh, there were two other ladies that came in and sat down to listen but I got to lead that lady uh, to the Lord where she was able to lay aside all of her shackles and be born into God's family um, and not have to worry about her eternal destiny anymore. And so I went from one witnessing extreme to a Datoga a young person who understood absolutely nothing that I was saying and came from a, from a tribe which was neither Muslim or Christian to a lady uh, who was probably in her late 40s who had gone from Islam to Christianity but was still not saved and then I was able to lead her to the Lord in just a couple of minutes of going through a track with her. So that was, I went home encouraged that day and kept coming back two or three times a week after that to try to move ahead with uh, discipleship with that lady along with many others who I had the privilege of leading to the Lord in that area. Amen. Now you share stories like this on your blog. What is your blog address? My blog address, uh, I have a blog on um, blogspot and it's called My Day in the Bush and so if you go to rodney-mydayinthebush.blogspot.com then you could read a number of different stories 
some of them are just common things that I encounter on a weekly basis, and I'm like, well, I'm running across these baboons or these um, zebra on a weekly basis. More like just write about it so people can uh, can hear what I encounter, and then I have special things that happen uh, that I sometimes write about. Like I just finished a four-part series about uh, a particular time I encountered a man who was dying on the side of the road who had ended up being poisoned by his wife, according to his story. And so I write about my encounter with with getting him to the hospital and seeing him recover and uh, getting a witnessing opportunity with that. So if you go to rodney-mydayinthebush.blogspot.com, you could uh, read a number of those stories. And I try to start a new story there once about every other month um, just because I am so busy. I don't get to keep up on it um, on a weekly basis because of you know ministry responsibilities. Very good, and I'll have a link to that if you go to the missionarytalks.com website. I'll have a link there to Rodney's uh, website so you don't have to necessarily remember it. You can go to Missionary Talks, and then I'm also going to get some information from Rodney, some different links of linguistics programs that uh, he he could let me know about, and I'll put those links there in the and the website as well. Well, Rodney, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for your time. As we close, is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, the one thing I would like to share, if there are some young people that might be listening to this who are considering the Lord's will in their life for missions, probably the the one of the most significant verses in my personal life that really set me in the right direction where the Lord was able to easily guide me in my heart towards the the missionary life comes out of the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And those two points really can set a young person on the right path where God can easily mold their heart and put the questions to rest on whether he wants them to be in full-time missions or part-time missions or not. That is, if you purpose in your heart to seek those things which are godly and then you set your affections, those things that you think about, those things that move you emotionally and spiritually, you set your affections on things that are above, the things that are godly and righteous and good, and then your heart is conditioned to hear and understand the voice of the Lord in your heart as he is pulling you in the direction of missions, either serving for a summer. We had a Bible college student that came and stayed with us for uh, two months and then went back afterwards and the Lord felt that or he felt like the Lord was leading him into full-time missions after that uh, or if you want to be a career missionary the Lord will really speak to to your heart if you just seek those things which are above and then you set your affections on those things which are good and godly and righteous instead of uh, bogging them down with so many other voices you might hear on a daily basis through the computer or or music or through uh, games or 
or, or friends that are not godly. And so if you clear the channels, so to speak, then God can lead you in a clear way. So I just wanted to challenge them with that. You've been listening to Missionary Talks with David Peach. Please visit us at missionarytalks.com.